Welcome to the We Are NTC podcast, a production of NTC Australia and New Zealand. Today's episode is an audio recording from session one of this year's Spiritual Deepening Weekend held on the Brisbane campus back in June. Our speaker this year was Reverend Mandy Smith, who delivered three talks on the theme of rest. Does bearing fruit have to wear us out? Mandy's talks were both challenging and inspiring. And so we hope you enjoy this bonus episode wherever and whenever you're listening. God bless. Thank you to Rob and to everyone here in the room and all of you joining us uh, online as well. Um, I worked really hard to keep my Australian accent, even though I was out of Australia for a very long time. My husband and I would practice every night, so I hope we've done okay with that. Sorry, um, it wasn't a Kiwi accent, but close enough. Um, So I have the joy of sharing with you something that has really transformed my life. This is not theory for me. This is something that um, really I was just praying about this as I was preparing today and thanking God once more for the process that he's been bringing me through that I'm still learning about um, that I do tell the story of in Unfettered. Um, And so really what I wanted to begin with is what we had in the flyer for this evening or for this weekend was this question about does does following God, does serving God have to wear us out? Does bearing fruit have to be something that drains us? Scripture seems to imply that somehow we flourish even as we bear fruit, but we don't always feel that way or see it in our actual experience. As individuals, we often feel worn out. And as congregations, I mean, you've seen the statistics, you've watched churches swindling. It doesn't look like flourishing a lot of the time. And so what do we do with that? How do we um, figure out that reality and live into this flourishing that God promises us? One dynamic that I have watched at work in my own life and in the lives of those around me in the church is this strange way that we flip, we kind of ping pong from it's all up to me to it's all up to God and back to it's all up to me. So, of course, we know it's all up to God. As Christians, we say this all the time. Of course, it's all up to God. But in the morning, we have to get up and do something. We still have to live our lives and contribute something. And so we believe it's all up to God, but then we have to do something, and suddenly we jump straight back into it's all up to me. And I see this in myself going back and forth and not really knowing how to do a third thing, which I think is some kind of partnership with God, right? And uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that tonight. Before we jump in, let me just give you a second to think about how you're feeling right now that it's all up to you, even though I know you would all say it's all up to God, but how are you actually feeling But it's actually all up to me? And that's okay. No judgment. Just take a moment to reflect on what that looks like for you. Well, with that practical example in mind, I'd like to say that this is not just your personal problem. This is a dynamic that is at work in our whole culture as Western Christians. So to let us off the hook just a little bit, we're all creatures of of our culture and of our time and and of our moment, right? And so I think one of the big dynamics here that that we're actually navigating at the moment is that we are Christian people. We read scripture, we go to church, we talk about God, we immerse ourselves in all of those things, and we work so hard to be faithful to that. And at the same time, the reality is that we are living in a very secular culture. 
Now, this is not to critique our secular culture. People who don't believe in God should live like people who don't believe in God. That's consistent for them. I don't want to critique them. What I'm saying is we claim not to be secular people, and yet we are shaped by our education system, by the cultural around us, by the media. That's just the water we swim in, right? And so we're currently always navigating this strange dynamic that we believe one thing, but we have been shaped, transformed by all the other things, all the water that we swim in all the time. And so there's this dynamic that is especially significant in the Western secular culture, which I really want to name. It's given me some grace to realize, okay, I'm not imagining things. These are real dynamics that, are, that have shaped me and have shaped all of us and are actually not very Christian dynamics, and yet we're also shaped by them. So two main things, one of which is usually named, the I think, therefore I am, kind of undercurrent of everything in Western culture. And, of course, this has been named by Rene Descartes, and so we, if you've studied any philosophy, you might have heard of him. So he, is, he was trying to figure out, what does it mean to be a human being? How do I know that I really exist? Ah, because I'm thinking and asking this question, then it must mean that I'm existing right now. And so much has grown from that, but we are defining ourselves basically as, as brains on legs. And you can see any time, have you ever noticed how often people apologize when they cry? It's often the first thing we say when we cry. Little things like that are signs that we have actually done a lot of damage the whole, this whole cultural several hundred years of, of enlightenment has done damage to the human being. Thinking is wonderful. I'm so glad we have brains and intellect, but we are so much more than a brain on legs, right? And Western culture has segmented us into pieces, our body, our spirit, our mind, our emotions, our instincts, and, and said some of these things are better than others. Some of these things are things to be ashamed of. Some of them are messy things. And some of them are things that we should be very proud of. And usually the things that are more messy and more mysterious are also sometimes places where God is, is working. And yet we put them over here, even in the church. We put them over here and we say, unless we can explain it with human language, then it's not real. And so you can see how having a Christian faith that's shaped by that cultural dynamic means that so much of our experience of God gets sidelined or is embarrassing or is only for when we're home privately with God. And so it just leads to dryness and doubt in our faith, which I think we're seeing, right, across the world, across the Western church. The second dynamic, which is not named as clearly as I think therefore I am, is I do therefore I am. So just building on that, this is, you know, the Industrial Revolution has started this several hundred years of, of industry and of us defining ourselves as doers. We accomplish things. We get things done. We invent things. We solve problems. And, again, this is a part of how God has made us. I'm so glad that he made us problem solvers. Because there's plenty of problems to solve. At the same time, it, it gets overdone, right? We, we become so activistic that we think it's all up to us to carry everything in our own strength, to fix everything, and we see this even in the Christians, that when there's a meeting and then a crisis comes up, how quickly we jump into fixing mode and how, how quickly this, we see this, this dynamic, this thing is we're steeped in it, right? We feel it all the time. So this, this I do, therefore I am, then wears us out. It burns us out. And we see this as well. And so we, we can understand just a very quick overview there 
I'm not, I'm not a historian, but from what little I've read about it, I know this dynamic of, of valuing thinking and valuing getting stuff done leaves our faith uh, very dry and doubtful and just worn out and burned out. And we see that personally. We see that in congregations and denominations across the world. And so I actually think the biggest crisis in contemporary Christianity in the West is these dynamics. We're actually okay when we somehow remember how to be Christians again. The interesting thing for me is whenever I talk about this, and I see this in myself, whenever I say the problem is we want to think about everything in order to fix everything, and people are like, that is a problem, isn't it? Yeah, we need to think about that so we can fix that. So you see the irony, right? We are steeped in it. It's deep in us. And it's a kind of practical atheism, really. It goes against what we say with our mouths. And I know myself, when I'm in a meeting and something hits the fan, it is so easy to, to jump into fixing and crisis management instead of saying, well, we really need to pray right now. That's the Christian response, right? To and just assume that God is at work here. So what do we do about this? If the answer is to think about it more to fix it, what do we do about this? I actually think this is something to do with what Jesus said in Matthew 18. And it's a passage that gets surprisingly little attention, and I'm doing my best to make that make something different there. So let's read just two verses here in Matthew 18. He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've heard that my whole life. I've never heard a serious academic in investigation of that, any theological works done it. I found one. I, I, I surveyed all of my friends who are much more educated than I am about theology, about if they knew any books on this particular thing, a theology of childlikeness, and I found one in all the world, a very, very small book, a wonderful little book, by uh, Balthasar, but I think it needs more investigation than one book. And I think what we've done in our Western culture is we've said, children, well, that's silly, Jesus. You must be imagining things. Children are foolish and waste time and make a mess, and that can't possibly be the way to get into, kingdom, into the kingdom. Well, you know, I guess the whimsy and the wonder, we might dabble with that when we're on holidays once a year, but apart from that, I don't really want to explore this. Well, I want to share with you that the, the things I'm sharing tonight and the coming nights come from my determination to investigate this and not just by thinking about it, and obviously I couldn't even read that much about it, but by just exploring what if this is possible, what if this is actually true, that by becoming like a child I will enter into the kingdom and maybe it will mess with me so much. Maybe I'll be so uncomfortable in this culture that, it, that uh, values thinking and, and getting stuff done that it will actually shape me to be the kind of person who might have space for the kingdom. And so it's a really uh, radical thing that has been happening in me, and I'm starting to understand how this is connected to the two problems that we mentioned earlier. Because, and the beautiful, hopeful, wonderful good news about this is that we've done that before. We've been children before, all of us. I'm pretty sure I can say that pretty safely. Um, all of us have been children before. So whatever Jesus meant by that, we used to be good at it. And we can learn it again. So it might just be about remembering old habits. 
before we took ourselves so seriously, before we defined ourselves only as brains on legs, before we felt like we had to solve all the problems in our own strength. And this is the thing. Children engage as whole beings. If you remember as a child, even when we had painful childhoods, this doesn't require you to have a perfect childhood. Even as whatever our childhood looked like, we knew how to engage as a whole person. We trusted our emotions. And if there was a caterpillar that needed our attention, it got our attention. We listened to our instincts, and if a place didn't feel safe, we didn't go there. We were all really smart. We, had, we were really brave. We were whole beings. And we didn't make this categorization of this part of myself is a good part of myself and this part of myself is a shameful part of myself. We just knew how to engage and trust those things. And somehow we forgot that. And secondly, we didn't do the I do, therefore I am bit either. We, we knew how to be a part of something but not expect that we were the whole of something. To just engage, trusting that what we brought was something and, but it wasn't everything and that was okay. So it's encouraging to me that to remember that we've done this before. And so while the answer, we do have a part to play in moving towards this. We can't think about it in order to fix it, but we do have an opportunity. And I would like to propose that this is through rest, which is surprisingly radical in a time like, like ours, where thinking and doing are the highest goals. Rest radically rewires us. And I'm not saying sit and think about rest or read about rest. I'm saying actually rest. And it's in resting that, that we learn something in our bones that we otherwise could never understand. And it helps us switching off from these habits that Western culture has, has put in us. It sets us out of that crazy ongoing pressure that we feel in Western culture. What I see, when I see God talking about Sabbath-keeping, uh, when we look at the story in Exodus 16, God gives the people of Israel Sabbath before he gives them the law, before the Ten Commandments. When he's giving out the manna, he, he talks about Sabbath as early as that. He says, you'll have a day off. And my theory is these people have been enslaved for hundreds of years, for generations. It's in their DNA. And he says, Slaves don't get a break, but children do. He's saying, I want you to remember that you are my children again, and you get to have a day off. You get to have a day where you're not just accomplishing things for the sake of it. And he's offering us that same promise. We're not slaves to this I do and I think, therefore I am. It's unkind. It's not the way of the kingdom. And so I just want to share with you a brief example of, a, of an experiment I did to test this. And I will tell you, I think with some of these things, because they're so deeply steeped in us, the discomfort of doing it is what actually teaches us. If God really asks us to rest, what might I learn from resting and to do it and to learn from the discomfort? And so for me, um, I was looking for something to do for Lent and we we're talking about consumerism, and I'm not really a big shopper or a big eater, so I thought, well, actually, I consume myself, most of all. I just say yes to everything. And I realized it's a very common thing for me to actually forget to have a lunch break, forget to eat, and I'm just so busy writing all the emails that are going to save the whole planet that I just keep powering through. 
And so I realized probably one of the most radical things for me to do for 40 days for Lent was to set an alarm at noon every day and to just stop whatever I was doing. One of the rules was I had to just stop. I couldn't finish the email. I had to stop when that alarm went off for 10 minutes, which is really not a big deal. You'd be amazed how hard this was for me. And that was a sign. This is what I'm saying. You learn from the discomfort. The, the fact that it was so hard for me to just say, okay, I'm stepping away from my emails. I'm going to go. And every time I had to just attend to my basic human needs, to go to the toilet, to have a drink, have something to eat. And I had been overriding those fundamental human needs. A child listens to those needs. And I was, as an adult, too busy, too important to, to pay attention to those things I used to know how to pay attention to. And really, I would never say, I'm a superhero, I have no human needs, I'm saving the planet. But that's actually what I was living out. That's the faith I was communicating by treating myself as if I had no human needs and uh, treating my work as if it was saving the world. And so just the discomfort of stopping mid-work to get up and be a human being for, for 10 minutes was crazy how radical it was, so I kept it for the rest of the year because I knew there's more I need to learn here. And I started to get a glimpse of what God was thinking when he said, no, really, seriously, take a whole day off. And it's going to be happening even in the middle of the harvest season. When you're worried that the fruit is running on the trees, you're going to have to do it anyway and trust that I will provide, trust that somehow I am carrying the world just fine without you. And when you come back to your work, You'll remember, the church that you think won't live without you was fine on that day, and it'll be fine even when you come back. And so it comes with us back even into our work. This was a part of the tradition of the Jewish people that still they do it today. They pour, at the end of Sabbath, they pour wine into a cup, and the cup is in a bowl, and they pour it until it overflows and into the bowl as a prayer that the sweetness of that rest of that day, of just being in God's presence for the pure joy of it, which is what we're going to need to do in heaven, so we better get used to that, just to be in God's presence and to say to him, God, I'm getting nothing done, and you still love me. They pray as they pour the wine, as it flows over, that this sweetness would flow into their whole week, that the, the things they're learning from that day of trusting God is holding the world would come with them back into their work. And they would learn how to do that. it's all up to God and it's all up to me and find another way of saying, it's all up to God, but he's partnering with me and he's inviting me into the mission with him. And so what a beautiful thing at the end of this year of just taking a 10-minute-a-day break uh, there were several major crises that happened at the end of that year in, involving taking all my kids out of school right before Christmas to come over here from the States to um, be with someone who was dying. And it was just a crazy, crazy time. And I kept waiting for this thing in me that always comes in crisis where I freak out. And it just didn't come. And I had a feeling it was because that whole year I had been living in this place of trusting that in the mess somehow God is still carrying me. And then I knew... This is, this is real. This is serious stuff. And for me, it just meant taking care of my basic human needs and taking a 10-minute break every single day, being like a child again, trusting somebody else was carrying the world, and it was okay for me to be a limited human. And so I'd like us to take a minute to remember what it meant 
to be a child. And I think even as adults, even as we look back on ourselves, we kind of have these cutesy stereotypical images of even who we were as children. We were really brave and we were really smart. As smart as we are now, just had less capacity, maybe less power at our disposal. So just take a minute to remember on the days, on school holidays or on Sunday, Saturday mornings when you had nothing that you were supposed to do or you'd finished all the, the tasks your mum had given you to do, you had no homework, and it was just your time. Was there something that you just found yourself doing without even knowing, it wasn't even a conscious choice, the thing that you just had to do? That now as grown-ups we call play, but as children it was just the thing. Have a second to think about what that was. Can I hear one or two from the room? Oh, climbing in the treehouse. That's a good one. Can you put up the picture of the kid on the beach? Is it working? Oh, that one. I just love that picture. Um, anyone else? Reading? Amor? Making my pies. <laughs> so whatever that was in you, it's still in you. It might look different as an adult. The lady who makes the mud pies makes a pretty good actual pie too. Um, so I don't know if it's going to have the same expression in you as an adult, but what if there was space for you to let that find a voice in you, find an expression in you? For me, a big part, probably one of my highlights of childhood was playing on the beach. Beaches are amazing. There's everything on the beach. Anything's possible on a beach, it seems. And actually, there's a man who uh, is a, a clay expert, which I think is an amazing job, Stuart Brown. If we can go to the next slide. He's actually made a list of eight clay personalities. Just like you have love languages or personality types. So the joker, the kinesthete, that's to do with um, movement, the explorer, the competitor, the director, the collector, the artist or creator, and the storyteller. So um, storytelling is even watching movies or reading books, but it just validates. We have these hardwired into us. These are connected to the gifts and passions that God has given us. So what if the things that made us curious or that we just had to pursue as a child are still in there somehow wanting to come out? And instead of us having the world's approach to it that's like, this must be a career, you must get stuff done. What would it look like to make some time, to make some space, to actually disconnect from that, I think therefore I am, I do therefore I am, and to remember those little curiosities, those little things that just, just you just had to explore. I remember when I was a kid, I loved making things out of other things. And I got in trouble one time because I just saw a bin full of used tissues and it had to become a collage of clouds. And I remember my mum being like, we can't afford some craft supplies for you, man. You don't have to use used tissues. But it just wasn't even a conscious decision for me. It constitutes the growth. It wasn't even a conscious decision for me. That's just something in us as a child that we must explore, that we must uh, figure out. And I think this is what God is calling us into. And somehow even 
our ministry, our callings grow from this place. Something else that I loved doing as a kid was uh, coming up with an idea and just getting a bunch of people together. One time I wrote a piece of music when I was like 10 and um, there was a competition and I got all my friends together and we recorded this music and I gave somebody the triangle and someone the glockenspiel or something and we recorded this little piece of music. And if you'd seen me, you probably would have said, oh, she really should be a musician when she grows up. But it was just about creating something in community and figuring out what everybody brings to it. And now that I'm a pastor, I'm like, that's what I was doing. So what if whatever it is that God's calling you to, you actually knew as a child, and it's still in there somewhere wanting to come up? So I know there's probably somebody, at least one person in the room, who's saying, but we can't just rest and play all day long, maybe. Of course not. So what I would like to propose, and this is a really good thing, that we have three gatherings what I would like to propose is that the world says there's a problem, respond. There's a question, respond. There's a crisis, respond, 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 respond. Knee-jerk reaction is deep enough, right? We do have a response. We are called to have a response. We have agency. We have gifts. We have powers to actually do things and make a difference in the world. God calls us to that. But response, as far as I can see in Scripture, is not our first reaction. What I see in scripture instead of respond, respond, respond is rest. And that doesn't just mean take a nap, although it can mean, but sometimes it's just take a breath. Say a prayer. Remember, God is carrying the world. Rest, receive, respond. So the response comes, but it's just not the first thing. That this simple insight for me like fixes the whole problem for me of is it me or is it God? Is it up to him? Is it up to me? It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's just a matter of the order in which we get it done. And in my experience, every time I rest, every time I set aside, I have to do this all the time. Every day I have to have a walk when I actually want to get up and jump on my email. Every day when I, every week when I'm trying to write a sermon, I just want to jump in front of my computer, I have to lie down on the floor and just remember he's actually writing the sermon. Every time I have a meeting and I don't know how it's going to go, I don't want to just, I choose to have like a good 10, 15 minutes of prayer. And this is, if we begin every meeting, if we begin every day, every conversation, every decision, every sermon writing, every paper writing, whatever it is that we're doing that we want to do and we want to respond, when we begin with, with rest, however that looks, then in my experience, we're plugging into the source of all the stuff that we actually need. We're plugging into the source of all the creativity in the world, all the energy, all the ideas, all the things that we're so desperately trying to find in our own strength. And so we have the opportunity to respond, but it may not be the response we're expecting. It may lead us into new places. It may even surprise us what we're doing. And so tonight we're talking about rest. As you might guess, tomorrow night will be received. And then finally, we'll talk about responding because there is a part for us to play. We are given gifts and agency to do. And so, as we're wrapping up, I just wanted to return to that initial question what are you feeling is all up to you? I just want to invite you to, to ask God what, what is He asking you to do? What is up to you? And what is not up to you? Take a moment. 
What is he not asking of you that you have taken on? That is up to him. And I'd just like to close with a, to visualize an image that is thread through all of scripture. And two of my favorite passages that kind of reference it are from Jeremiah 17 and Psalm 46. And this image, there is a tree planted by a river. It's all throughout from Genesis to Revelation. We see it in Psalms, we see it in books of prophecy. There is a river that is our resource if we will sink our roots down deep. And imagine a tree that only brought its roots back into itself, that its branches and its roots looped back around. It's kind of a sad image. I don't think that tree would last very long if it only got its own resources from itself. But we live that way all the time. This is the secular world we've been brought up in. But the faith that we claim is, is this image of a tree who lives by a stream, who chooses to set its roots down. And so as I describe this, this image from Jeremiah 17 and Psalm 46, I just want you to hear it as an invitation. I want you to take note of how God is asking you to, to rest in that source from outside of you. That is everything that you need for what he's calling you to. Jeremiah describes a tree who is planted by the stream whose roots go down deep. Its leaves are always green. It is never afraid in seasons of drought. And it's always bearing fruit. Psalm 46 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our most high God. God is within her, she will not fail. He helps her at break of the day. Be still and know that I am God. There is something, there is a source beyond us that is just waiting to give us all the things we so desperately need. All those ideas that energy, that guidance that we long for, for everything God calls us to do. And if we're not feeling the power of it, it's not because it has no power. It's because we are not still enough to rest in it, to trust in it. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this promise. We thank you that you have offered yourself as a source throughout all the generations to your people, inviting them, pleading with them to just rest in you, to just receive from you, to just be still long enough to trust that we can find in you all that we so desperately are longing for. 
Reveal to us the ways we've been shaped by things that are not of you. Help us to detox from their influence. Help us to step away from those habits that are founded on principles that are not founded on you. God, show us the next step. Show us the next good thing that you're inviting us to do. And by us, in practical ways, in ways we can understand, to know how to begin our days, our meetings, our conversations, our work, resting in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about the college, please check us out online at ntc.edu.au and you can follow us on Facebook. We hope to see you again in a future episode.